This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. We are part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza here to preview West Virginia's visit to Virginia Tech. It's a game for the Black Diamond Trophy in possession of the Mountaineers for the past eh, just about a year. They put on the line against the Hokies to set the table. Welcome in, Chris Anderson. Chris, here's a pop quiz for you if you're okay with that. And let's get it started early. All right, we've seen the return, the rebooting of some of these rivalries the past few years. I'm going to give you the four that have filled the schedule or will fill the schedule. And you're going to tell me which one's the most important, which one's the least important. You don't have room for four, obviously. Three would be crazy. Two seems like it may be kind of ambitious when you look at the schedule this year. But if you only get one of these, how would you prioritize? Maryland, Virginia Tech, Pitt. And then returning next year, Penn State. Um, I think out of the four, Penn State, for me, is a, a pretty clear number four. And I know that may not be the answer for some of the, the older listeners, but given my age and and where I grew up, you know, I grew up like high school and stuff in, in Virginia, it felt like Virginia Tech and Maryland meant a lot uh, to West Virginia. Um, I still think Pitt is number one. I don't know if that's ever going to change. I know there's some people that certainly feel strongly about Virginia Tech, a, a strong dislike for Virginia Tech, but I think it's still Pitt. And and then I would go, if you maybe maybe go one, two, three, four, it, it's Pitt, Virginia Tech, Maryland, with Virginia Tech and Maryland pretty close. And then Penn State, again, like pretty clear number four. And maybe that's just because they haven't played, you know, or haven't yet renewed that rivalry. Maybe once they do play, they'll be – and itching here to move them up the list. So hmm. I wanted to ask you if you might include somebody from outside that group, but as, as I've spent the last couple of weeks in rivalries and research and all that stuff. And I think about, ah, oh, you know, maybe they should get somebody new on here rather than, you know, for example, they have a long, long contract with Pitt. Nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sure you would do that with Maryland or, or Penn state. And then I was wondering like, well, who could you get in? I'm not going to lie to you, Chris. I don't think any of these rivalries from the past really have a lot of cachet with people right now. Like, is anybody getting pumped for Rutgers? <laughs> Boston College. I think everybody would be pumped up if it was the 83-7 to 7 Rutgers of old. They'd sure. Be down for that game. Sure. Um, Syracuse, not going to do it. Now, if you could pull, like, Miami, but, like, is that, is that a rivalry? Not really. Um, 
don't know. I just wonder about that sometimes. Like here we are. Like you're not you're not getting Washington and Jefferson on that schedule. She's so kind of have room for a couple of them, and maybe they're like in a sweet spot here where it could be across a period of. I mean, we're talking scheduling twenty years, maybe. But you find a room for those four in some order and try to make it work here too. Um, our focus right now, though, seven thirty Thursday night at Lane Stadium. Christina, you know the last time that West Virginia played in Blacksburg. I mean, it's got to be around turn of the century, right? 2004. 2004. That game can almost buy cigarettes. <laughs> October 2nd, 2004. That's a 1913 game. Uh, West Virginia was number six in the country. Had a pretty good team, they thought, that year. And, and were, they were right, um, as evident by what happened the following year. But weird game. Kind of one or two plays that went the wrong way for West Virginia. And then the kind of series goes dormant after that. And not after that, but like obviously things change soon after that. But not a great offensive game for West Virginia. I believe Eric Wicks had a uh, a pick six in that game. But kind of one of those weird days where Tech maybe didn't have the better team, but you had like this thing about going to Lane Stadium, going to Blacksburg. And it was hard for teams to win there. And here's where I want to begin, Chris. Mm-hmm. A little mythology. We we get into this sometimes. And you play like a Kansas State, for example, when it was Bill Snyder. There were certain like intangibles you had to be frightened of, just because that's what always happened. And I think when you talk about Tech, a night game, Sandman, they got the lunch pail back. Now you wonder about Beamer Ball, special teams, tough place to play. I do wonder about that. A lot has changed. In the past five years, Tech is 16 and 11 at home. Past 10 years, 40 and 24. I think if you're a visitor, you much rather play this game at noon or 11 a.m. like they did last week. But 7.30 p.m. is a little bit different. But how daunting is the challenge in general, but also for a team that did play a Thursday night game against Pitt earlier in the season? Because I think that's a major variable here. I'm with you. I think. Before the season, when we did our little game by games, I think I said I was more concerned about this game than I was the Pitt game, uh, in part not because of the talent. I I agreed that Pitt was better as a football game, as a football team, but I felt that the atmosphere was going to be much more intense for West Virginia. But I hadn't I hadn't thought about that part of it, that they're going to get some experience with this, a Thursday night road rivalry game against Pitt, and so now they've got used to that, and, and that might help them in this game at Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. So that's that, I do think that's going to play a factor, because I think they're prepared for it now. Pump block? Field goal block? Anything? like like Is that just something you worry about still when you play Tech? Like, again, they brought the lunch pail back. Yeah. Have not forgotten Bud Foster, and that actually predates Bud Foster, but he certainly made that famous. But I just wonder about the old, like I said, the mythology of the Hokies and Tech and Lane Stadium and everything. How much of it is actually a concern and how much of it is times have changed and so have the expectations? I mean, I think that, like, what do you call it, mythology, that that mythos is always going to be there. It's it's one of those things. It's kind of like what I talked about with West Virginia's offense, which, again, I think they avoided this, but I said that, one of the keys for West Virginia this season was they needed to get it going on offense because if they didn't get it going on offense for the season, then the stigma of Neil Brown and WVU not being able to do anything on offense would stick with them because 
it works the other way, where people still, to this day, recruits I'm talking about here, when you say West Virginia, they go, oh, my God, that high-flying offense, even though West Virginia's offense until, like, over the last three years has not been great. I mean, the last three games has been great, but prior to that has not been great. But people still think of West Virginia's offense as great because it was so good for so long. And I think that holds true for Virginia Tech with uh, special teams and punt blocks and hard nose and all this stuff. Um, I do think some of that's still there. I mean, obviously, when we look at this year's team and you look at the stats and what they do well and what they don't do well, um, it fits. Hard nose, tough defense, um, defensive-minded coach, offense, not that great. Special teams, we'll see. So I, I think it makes sense that all that's still there. I think special teams just worry me if I'm a fan of West Virginia because, of course, they do. Um, like, th- this team might find a way to get a kickoff blocked. So you kind of have a perpetual feeling about something may go wrong. And if you go into a place where crazy things tend to happen, then maybe that amps up the possibility a little bit more. I think that would certainly be a game changer here too. But I also think about West Virginia. Here's a team that has lost a game when it's blocked a punt, has won a game when it's given up a kickoff return. It it, it sort of seems like special teams are, are there, but they're playing in spite of them and winning in spite of them. In the case of last week where it didn't really matter, but um, their offense and their defense have been the issue. So we'll go into that. Let's not spend time on special teams. Although I will note, Chris. Yes. Dynamite kicker for Tech, who is like Casey Leg would would be like, this guy has a weird story because this kid didn't start kicking until 2017. He's five for five on field goals. Um, he's at his third Division One college. It was just a student at South Carolina before he transferred to Tech last year. It didn't kick at all last year. He's five for five, eight for eight and extra points. Drilled a 49-yarder. And also, the punter is as good as any that West Virginia will see, according to Neil Brown. And I'll say it for the fresh set. I'd be a little bit worried about a kickoff return development. Um, a player, we'll see. But that's all I'm going to do on special teams. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. Uh, I mean, I think I think West Virginia, the football team, and Neil Brown and the coaching staff are going to spend a little more time than that because um, – I'm trying to remember exactly how the question was phrased, but Neil Brown said, you know, one of the things that really ticked him off, the thing that really bothered him was that kickoff return against Towson. And and I think it was because so much of that was mental mistakes, not physical. Uh, guys, I think he, he called it landmarks, weren't staying on their landmarks. I, I took that to mean they weren't staying in their lanes because, again, uh, watching from home, we got a, a pretty unique behind-the-kick returner uh, camera angle there on a replay and the guy fields it and you look up field and you see four Towson blockers and only three West Virginia defenders. I think that's why I said, uh, you know, I thought maybe they, the, the kicker thought it was kickoff left and everybody else on the team thought it was kickoff right. Cause it sure seemed like everybody went the wrong direction and, and really opened things up for Towson. But yeah, I think it's good enough for us to stop talking about special teams, maybe not the team. Yeah, I don't think the fans are going to be upset with that, but I just want to throw in my two cents. Let's go to the offense for right. Virginia Tech. The big question mark, I think, for this one is who's playing running back for the Hokies? They've had some success, but maybe their top returning running back hasn't even played. Their top running back this season missed last game, and as I was just going through the highlights, the broadcast team was kind of surprised and thought that the guy may play, didn't play. And they still did okay, ran for north 130 yards. But short week, kind of cagey head coach. No indication if Malachi Thomas will play. Will Keyshawn King return to the lineup? 
you know, how is it going to go with the ground game, except they are probably going to hand it off and they do have a signature style running the ball. Yeah, absolutely. I think they are more centered on, I know most of the West Virginia fans are going to know Grant Wells. You know, he's from uh, Charleston, West Virginia. He played at Marshall. He went to a thousand WVU football camps. I have video of him, pictures of him, interviews with him that have been on our sites for years. And now he's at tech, but the, point of the offense or the focus of this Virginia Tech offense is that running game. Um, I found it interesting and maybe uh, a little concerning that Neil Brown said they were kind of like Kansas in that they have a stable of running backs and like to go those get all those guys out there. I'm not sure they're going to go that three or four running back diamond special backfield like Kansas did, but don't be surprised if there is a much larger focus on that run game. I mean, especially if they get in the lead. I mean, if they start playing behind it, the game script obviously is going to force them into passing the ball. But this Virginia Tech offense, even as we talk about how, you know, running backs, fine, they're good, that's their focus, it's a slog, Mike. Like, this, this, this is not inefficient. This is not a good offense. Like, this isn't something, you know, I just said, you know, how I compared it to Kansas. This ain't Kansas. Um, if they do to West Virginia's defense what Kansas did to West Virginia's defense, that's a problem. Here are the handful of drives against Wofford, the 0-3 FCS Wofford Terriers. They went Virginia Tech went 13 plays to go 55 yards, turned it over on downs. Seven plays to go 44 yards, field goal. Nine plays to go 50. 52 yards, field goal. They get a touchdown on the next drive, or the next couple drives, and then you get into the second half. They're still going starters here because they could only muster 20 points against Wofford. You know, West Virginia was on their second and third string in the third quarter. Um, Tech instead is is still not only first-team offense out there, but Grant Wells coming out slinging. I mean, I think he, he dropped back and then had to scramble on the first play of the second half, threw on the second play, threw again, threw again. Next drive, throw in four times. Um, and they, again, still five plays, 13 yards, punt. Five plays, 15 yards, punt. This is an offense that struggles to make a big play. They currently rank 104th out of all 100, 131 teams in the country in 20-plus yard plays. 108th, excuse me, 108th out of 131 teams in 20-plus yard plays so far this season. Like that, it's it's going to be a grind when they get because even when they get touchdowns, it's 10, 12 play drives that are just four yards, five yards, four yards, eight yards, six yards. So be prepared for that type of game on Thursday night. Great news for Jordan Leslie because he's seen his team get out positioned, outflanked, and all of a sudden they're chasing somebody in wide open spaces. Doesn't happen with Tech. Do uh, the running back Keyshawn King has over seven yards of carry and more than four after contact. Mm. Concerns me. Uh, forced nine missed tackles so far. He does make some things happen there, but we're also not sure he's going to be the featured guy because if Thomas plays. They're going to try to get him the ball. And again, he was their freshman last year who was third on the team rushing and was supposed to be a big part of this offense, hasn't played. And they bring in King, and, and he's gone for a game. And they did struggle a little bit last week. What, what I've noticed, though, too, is, one, West Virginia, maybe just because they have to say this now, but did talk about formations and motions and shifts 
and said that there is some of that. I didn't see hardly any of that against Virginia Tech. It may have been the cut-up that I saw with the ACC network, but it was a lot of the same stuff, and, and two things stood out. They used two tight ends a lot. Their offensive coordinator is the tight ends coach. Not a coincidence. One of their tight ends is one of their backup quarterbacks in the last year, so they're trying to get the personnel one way or the other to play that way. So that probably is an indication of how they want to go. If you're moving a backup quarterback to tight end, you need tight ends. You're probably going to use tight ends. And then they do a ton of three-by-one stuff where they put three receivers out to the field side, one receiver to the short side, and the passes go to the left. They never really go to the short side. But when they run the ball out of that, um, a lot of you know using receivers to block someone there too. But you're right about Wells. He threw the ball 12 times in the first quarter, which was a historic figure there. And I imagine they wanted to get him work and see if can we move the ball, can we find something through the air because something isn't quite perfect with the run game so far. And again, maybe West Virginia's defense is an elixir. Maybe West Virginia's defense gets healthy on this. We'll see. Um, a lot of gap and power stuff, though, too. Similar to Kansas. Kansas, about two-thirds of their plays are pulling somebody, doing gap, doing power, and Tech is about the same ratio Guard tackle pulling all the time, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's play action, whether it's a running back, you're going to see somebody shift from the left side of the right or the right side of the left after the snap and either block or reset the pocket. And that's going to be interesting for West Virginia's defensive line. How do they react to that? How do they find the gaps, fill the gaps, whether it's the, the, the front defensive line and linebackers coming through? Um, going to have to play downhill to stop the run game. And I think that's going to be what Tech wants to do, but also I just think about the amount of passing they did in that first quarter. They got some okay receivers that they look like they were trying to heat up last week. But certainly the target for West Virginia's defense is in the secondary. Um, big play potential here if you're Tech. I mean, it seems like if the running game isn't there, you might try to lean on the pass a little bit more, and if you're going to target West Virginia, you're certainly going to target the secondary. Yeah, we talk about get right games and get right opponents and stuff like that. And I hate to say it about West Virginia secondary, but if you're Virginia tech, if you're Virginia tech's offensive coordinator, you're looking at that WVU secondary and what they have and have not done so far this year and thinking, this is our opportunity to get these guys going. This is our opportunity to find those big plays. This is our chance to get our quarterback going and throwing downfield and finding those wide receivers. So, um, Again, so far, uh, what, what do they say with, uh, you know, investment stuff, past performance is not indicative of future results or whatever. Just because Virginia Tech, you know, it has been a slog offensively and likes to try to run it doesn't mean they're not going to sling it and, and try to attack West Virginia's weak secondary. I mean, you don't if you know that the run defense is West Virginia's forte, you're not just going to run into a wall 100 times in the game. You're going to try to attack the weaknesses on that defense. So. Don't be surprised if all of a sudden Grant Wells is thrown 40 times around midnight on Thursday night. Counterpoint, too, you might need to throw the ball and to score in a hurry against West Virginia's offense. That that hasn't been the case in the past couple of years. Um, we can pivot here in a second to the offense, but I wonder if West Virginia's offense is some sort of a, a motivation for Virginia Tech's offense, or I wonder if they do, for example— Throw it to their tight end because he leads the team in targets and receptions. Um, they've got some other guys they've tried to get it with, but your your yards per reception is 10.4, Chris. Hmm. Not healthy. No. We'll see what not. happens there. And if that's, a, if that's a place where they kind of bend and break in the secondary, then you probably have some issues with West Virginia. Um, we can flip their defense now. Um, but let me, let me get to this here. 
you had the news on Charles Woods. That's confirmed. Not word for word, but certainly your reporting on that was held up in yesterday's news conference with Neil Brown. Um, Rashad Ajay, Wes McCormick, maybe some Jacoby spells in there. I don't know what they do with Mumu bin Wahad and Malachi Ruffin. Looks like they're going to be safeties now, even though Aubrey Burks is back. Um, they got three corners now. Feel better? Feel good? Feel a little bit worried about this. Where do you stand? Uh, not great. I mean, I, I still got to see it. Um, even in the game against Towson, McCormick struggled again. And that's like three straight games that he struggled. And I know Towson didn't complete a lot of passes. I know, you know, they weren't, they didn't score obviously on defense. Um, but if you go back and watch those games and you go back and see some of those plays, there were multiple times and this is not the first time where Towson has had a receiver wide open with McCormick running from behind trying to catch up and the ball is just overthrown or misthrown or whatever. And then there was one play where the guy got past McCormick, um, was open, ball was on target, and McCormick, it was pass interference. And the, the ref just didn't call it. And McCormick danced around like he had just, you know, made the greatest play in the world. And in reality, he got beat got beat again, and then committed a penalty. Um, so it's still concerning to me. Just because the other team didn't put up the actual stats doesn't mean it's better. Um, we talked about it in the pit game. There were two, three, four plays in a row where McCormick just got beat deep, deep, deep again, again, and again on the same routes, and, and the quarterback just overthrew him. So that's something that would concern me and, and still has me worried about West Virginia's secondary, regardless of opponent, and regardless of what the current stats say um, uh, as far as completion percentage goes. I'm not omitting Andrew Wilson Lamp. I think he played about a dozen snaps, but Jordan Lessig just keeps on saying, like, he's not ready to play physically. So I have a hard time penciling him in Can right now. Can we talk about that for a second? It's Sorry, it's Dan. an odd comparison. I think he made a point that he really likes, you know, and which is that he, he considers him to be a lot like Sean Martin, who needed two years to learn how to use his body which is kind of unique at the position. And I get that, but I don't, I, I don't know. I just, he's smarter than me on this. Don't get me wrong, but doesn't, doesn't defensive end feel totally different from a physical demand strain standpoint than cornerback. Don't you want to be like long and rangy and run and use those gifts and not, not learn how to manage them. You just want to flaunt them. I would think, right? Yeah. I, I thought it was, it, it, I just think the whole thing is kind of fascinating how he went from, yeah, no, this guy's great. Clearly our second starter at the moment. Now, again, there were still guys coming in from transfer after spring. So that will obviously play a factor. But he just went from clearly the number two cornerback to this guy isn't even in like the three deep all of a sudden. You're going four, five, six cornerbacks deep before you're even discussing the prospect of Andrew Wilson Lamp getting on the field. And um, yeah, and then I, I, I did take note of uh, Leslie's comments about him needing basically to get stronger, bigger, stronger, and, and prepare his body more for what's going on out there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, boy, I don't know. We'll see. And, they, and Ben Wahad is listed as a corner. He played safety yeah. last game. Um, he's also listed as McCormick's backup, which means to Jacoby Spells, who I kind of liked, actually, which is not a surprise. The pedigree's there. He's listed as a Jai's backup, and the Jai doesn't even come off the field right now. I mean, he came off the field Saturday, but I think he's playing as long as possible. My point being, watch the game. Don't watch the too deep, and you'll get your answers there, too. Other sides of the ball now. Um, West Virginia offense, tech defense. Tech defense, no surprise, uh, outperforming the offense so far. Defensive coordinator is, is kind of like an up-and-coming guy. People think really highly of former very good player at Vanderbilt. Um, has risen the ranks, has Brent Pry's eye. Brent Pry's the defensive coordinator. That's where they're better right now, too. And they stop the run. They don't mess around on third down. They get some pass pressure. They, they get teams in a lot of third and longs, too. This I don't want to say it seems easy for me, but if West Virginia isn't winning on first and second down, if it's not getting first downs on first and second down, this game becomes a lot more difficult on Thursday night. Yeah, I think there's a big concern for me here, and it's pretty blatant, and it's right up front, and it's right in the middle. Um, First, I'm trying to remember the last time this happened, but not counting Towson, West Virginia has now played three straight Power 5 opponents that run a 4-3 defense. Like, I just feel like... Uh, like a traditional old school style four three. I mean, you you know what what was Dana's favorite thing? We're, we're multiple. Everybody's multiple three three man front four man front. Mix it all up. Um, this has been a, a four man front, which when you have a four three, obviously one of the the big factors is how good are your two defensive tackles. You have to have two good defensive tackles that can stuff the run, and you hope that that four man front can get pressure. And this is where, again, where my focus is and my concern for West Virginia's offense because what Tech does well with that four-man front is there there are two guys. It's technically four. I mean, they rotate like everybody else does with their defensive line, but Pollard and Kendricks are the starters. They're also the two guys with the most pressures on the team. And quarterbacks hate pressure. You know what they hate more than pressure? Interior pressure. Pressure coming right up the middle, right up in your face. And that's where it's going to be coming from with Pollard and Kendricks. And you look back at West Virginia's um, first two games against Power 5 opponents that run this 4-3, Kansas and Pittsburgh. Against Pitt, James Gamitter, left guard, allowed five pressures on the interior and had in true pass sets like obvious passing situations and passing downs received a Blutarski uh, uh, in pass blocking 0.0. Um, Zach Frazier, two pressures up the middle. Jordan White in his limited action, another pressure up the middle. That's eight pressures on the quarterback going right up in, um, in his face. 
So I think that's something to watch out for. It was better against Kansas, but Kansas ain't Pittsburgh, and Virginia Tech's closer to Pittsburgh than Kansas than they are Kansas. So this is something I'd be concerned about and something somewhere where if I'm a Virginia Tech fan, I think you can really disrupt WVU's offense that's really been humming so far this year. Well, that's not good. <laughs> Sorry, did I just rain on everybody's parade right there? Uh, that, that made it even simpler than I attempted to make it, too. So, yeah, they're going to have to be good guard center guard for sure. Um, makes me wonder about their intent in the run game to stretch it outside, try to stay away from the interior. Do you try to work on the interior and soften them up a little bit? Chess match for sure, too. Third downs. Again, not to whittle it down to too fine of a point, but just their their work on third down so far has been pretty impressive. One of the top third down teams in the country. Um, they had a historical stat, if I can find it here, which I'm having a hard time with, but three or fewer third downs in the first game. Conversions. First time since 1987. Eh, consider the opponent, but one was an ODU team that looks like it's okay offensively and did not win that game by just going back and forth up and down the field. Uh, one's Boston College, which is a Power 5 team, and, and you see the dangers of playing a Power 5 team in a conference game in the second game of the season. And then Wofford's kind of got a funky offense. They always do. They're not that that traditional Wofford um, option-ish style, but they still do some things that can mess you up. But, man, only three third-down conversions in each of the first three games. That's good. Uh, one of the best teams in percentages. They also allow very few first downs. I think in three games they've allowed 26 first downs. That is the second lowest total in the country behind Iowa and Alabama. Pretty good company there. And they don't let you convert. They get you in a lot of third and longs, too, which kind of makes me think that Quick up on first down because they might think you're running and then kind of get into a really good second down where you have the full playbook at your disposal is going to be interesting. Puts a lot on the JT Daniels because they have given him great leverage at the line of scrimmage to check in and out of things, things that they talk about during the week. He and Graham Harrell will have conversations. If I see this, I'm going to this. If we have this advantage, we're going here. It feels to me like that's going to be very important on first and especially second down because they do not want to be third and eight. And if you listen to the remarkable JT Daniels, whose press conferences are becoming like must-see TV. I think he probably yeah. played into that too. But the detail with which he breaks down the other team's defenses, maybe it's normal. But, man, to hear him talk about it, it seems like it's it's a ritual for him that he really does enjoy. He's going to have, but he's going to have to have a great handle on what to expect on second and six, on third and eight, um, when they're in a certain part of the field on first down. Um we talk about run game, we talk about receivers, whatever, but how much do you think falls into the lap of Daniels once he gets the play and then stands at the line of scrimmage and looks at the defense? Well, it's always on the quarterback, right? We've got to pin it. The wins, the losses, everything. We're going to pin it all on him no matter what. Um, but it, seriously, though, I think he's going to have to read into this because Tech has some good players. Um, obviously, with that four-man front, you're going to have to figure out in part, what those defensive linemen are doing, but then have to pay attention to that that second row of defenders because uh, Dax Hollifield, sorry, spacing on his name there for a second, their middle linebacker, he is all over the place. He comes up into the box. He lines up a little bit, sometimes kind of like blitzing some, coming up on the line, and you can also get him in coverage depending on what he's doing. So he's a guy that you got to keep eyes on at all times. And, uh, you know, 
as as far as the quarterbacks and the safeties go, they have some good players back there too. I mean, this is this is what this team is. It is just solid on all three levels of the defense, and it's going to fall on Daniel's shoulders to kind of pick apart where they want to go because, especially now, now that you have gone three games into the season, I, I don't want to say the, the book is out on on West Virginia and what they like to do on offense, but trends are emerging. And if, you know, not to belittle you and I, but if you and I can watch with our own two eyes and see exactly what West Virginia is doing, I assure you that these coaches that are getting paid six and seven figures can review the tape and have 18 assistants look it over and figure it out as well. So now we're getting to the portion of the season where you have to start adjusting. You can't do the same things that you did in the first three games. And that's going to, a lot of that's going to fall on Daniels, especially with the way he's talking about and during these press conferences and saying that, you know, he does have, and, and Graham Harrell said it too, that Daniels has a lot of leeway out there to change the plays, call the plays, talk to his wide receivers. So this this is where I think this stretch here, these next three games, is where we're going to see just how special JT Daniels can be. Text defense has faced 41 third downs. 25 required seven or more yards. 15 are 10 or more. Good work. That's, that's a lot. Yeah, uh, I misspoke. They're number seven in third downs, uh, excuse me, first downs given up. Um, number three in punts forced behind Iowa and Alabama. So um, for the third time in the history of Mountaineer Field, West Virginia did not punt Saturday. That's only happened 11 times in school history if I have my record keeping correct. Oliver Straw might want to be ready. He might, he might punt once or twice. Again, you're t- you're talking about 26 punts in three games. Again, only Alabama and Iowa have forced more. Straw is going to have to do good. Probably, you know, send him forward instead of sideways. That would help too. But again, being good on first and second down is going to be very important. You do not want to be in the in the bullseye for Tech on those third downs there too. Um, and, and real quick for the listener that's sitting in his car right now and saying, "Yeah, they did that. That's Wofford. Man, that's Wofford." Um, Wofford had the most success on third down of the three teams that Virginia Tech has played so far. Three for 11. Everyone else, two for 15, two for 15. So it ain't just Wofford. Virginia Tech's done it against a couple teams now. Yeah, and I think that people like the Old Dominion offense. And Boston College typically runs the ball really well and and just didn't have success against them. They have a good quarterback. They have some skill players. They're they're kind of beat up in their offensive line. But my point being that, like, it didn't come so easy. And, And sure, three games of the season – you're going to have some some thin opponents, but everybody is. Everybody is. So it's somewhat even, and Tech's defense is up there in in, in the certain categories that do seem to matter here, too. You mentioned Hollifield. Um, Brown mentioned that he's one of the most improved players he's seen on film already this season. Um, who is he? What does he do for this defense? Because all of his numbers, whether it's stuff you look up for statistics in a box score or more detailed metrics when it comes to pro football's focus stuff or football outsider stuff, it does seem like he kind of stirs a drink for what they're trying to do. But that's also a guy who's been around for a long time. It just seems like he's it's kind of up another level right now. It's, that's certainly a guy they're going to have to contend with and probably watch out for. Well, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about, um, you know, I kind of ruined, rained on the parade, talking about the importance of the defensive tackles, getting pressure, and West Virginia's interior offensive line. But in a 4-3 defense, you know, there's there's pros and cons to all the different defenses you're going to run. And in a 4-3, it, it stresses and puts more um, um, you know, on the plate of certain people. 
uh, as I mentioned, defensive tackles. But then the next one is that Mike linebacker, which is what Hollyfield plays, because with those four defensive linemen up front, it makes that Mike linebacker make more tackles than you would say if you were running a tradition a, a three four look. So that Mike linebacker has to stay in his lanes. He has to pick the right lanes. He if he misses up, if he picks the wrong lane, and and shoots the or shoots the wrong gap, it's wide open running for West Virginia. You know, running the ball. If he has the wrong coverage in his own coverage or picks the wrong man up in man and pass protection, it's wide open running. Uh, so it, it puts a lot of pressure on that Mike linebacker to make the right decision. So far this year, he's made that right decision, and I think that's going to be important for West Virginia. One spot that I kind of want to keep an eye on is his, I, I don't want to go so far as to say tendency to miss tackles, because it, as as we know, you know, Mike linebackers, they're always in the play. They're always around the play. They, they have more opportunities to make a tackle, which means more missed tackles than most players. But he had three in the first game against Old Dominion, a couple of them really, like, really important ones that he missed. Um, only had one against Boston College, uh, zero against Wofford. So he kind of, you know, shrugged that one off. He didn't play that much against Wofford, only a handful of snaps, a couple dozen snaps. Um, but if you can get in space, you're going to get in space against him. If you can make him miss, if you can get him to shoot the wrong gap, West Virginia could break off some big runs up the middle. Okay, inside zone it is then. <laughs> receivers, uh, West Virginia has, I would say, one of the better receivers going right now. And Bryce Ford Wheaton, they probably want to speed up Caden Prather, or I should say continue to speed him up. I think getting him 10 targets against Towson, maybe some of that's the defense, but maybe some of that is the defense because that someone finally just... Sorry, that or, felt purposeful, right? What's that? Ten, t- 10 targets to yeah, Prather? absolutely. Absolutely. And they were feeding Wheaton early, um, but I think a defense is like, you know, we're going to tilt over that way. Fine. Deal with Prather. Prather looks like he's going to be okay. Um, two good corners, Dorian Strong and Amani Chapman for Tech. They do not play a lot of man. They play a lot of zone. They're about 75-25 when it comes to that, and their zone numbers are pretty good. Uh, Strong, three receptions, seven targets in zone. Chapman, four for eight. And they tackle pretty well back there, too. They have had some, they traditionally had some good safety play, but again, mythology, mythos, as you called it. Um, who knows? We'll see. But man, if they can stretch those guys outside and get something in the middle, whether it's a Lachlan or St. James, that matchup you're talking about there, too, with the middle, making those middle guys work is going to be interesting. But you're going to get what you're going to get with Ford Wheaton and, and maybe Prather now, too. And big game for them. They're going to have to make plays, but they're going to have to do it against zone, it looks like, too. And if you're Daniels, probably familiar with it, probably ready for what you're going to see there. I think you like your chances there, too. Um, I just like their offense against their defense. I don't know why. It feels very strange to go into a game and say that West Virginia's offense kind of has, well, I don't want to say advantage, but momentum. Momentum is a good word. And I think when you talk about a lot of matchups in the past, it was, it was what does West Virginia's offense have to do? Like, how is it going to move the ball against this defense? How is it going to score enough points to supplement its own defense? A little bit different now. And you're like, okay, how is the opponent going to stop West Virginia's offense? And then can West Virginia's defense do enough to supplement its offense? Uh, I don't know. Is that three games, Chris? Or is that an accurate projection of, of where this may be heading with good quarterback, 
I would say an effective offensive line. Not perfect, but it's it's certainly it's introducing itself to the billing. I'm not sure it's met the billing, but it's introducing itself. Um, and then a running game that has a couple weapons that it can apply to you. Yeah, I think that's what makes this game so fascinating to me is that it's kind of good, good versus good and bad versus bad, meaning West Virginia's offense versus Virginia Tech's defense, good versus good. And then so far this year, West Virginia's defense versus Virginia Tech's offense, kind of bad versus bad, um, which leads me to, so how do you determine who's going to come out the winner of this game? What's going to happen? And that's where I think it comes down to the quarterback discrepancy. Again, I've, I've been one of the biggest fans of Grant Wells. I raved about him when he was a freshman in high school and was and was looking great at WV football camp, but we're still talking about him, comparing him uh, with, with his, I, I want to say struggles so far this year. I mean, he looked really bad in that season opening loss to Old Dominion. Um, and again, the offense has been kind of sluggish the entire year for Tech, and a lot of that falls on the quarterback. Meanwhile, JT Daniels, former five-star recruit, UGA, USC, everything that comes with it looks amazing so far this year. Um, I think that's where it ends up being the difference maker because when you have good versus good, bad versus bad, and and who, what's going to break out, that good offense or the good defense, I'm, I'm leaning on the quarterback, and I think JT Daniels is going to be the guy that helps lift this team because, yeah, West Virginia is going to have to make adjustments, and when they do, it'll be on Daniels. That's why you get them. You know, it, it's road games, night games, games you got to win in, in conference play or non-conference play. That's the one position in college football that is most closely, and I would say most obviously linked to the outcomes. And I really wonder how many other sports have something like that, like starting pitcher, I don't know, maybe point guard. I don't know, maybe. But, man, in college football, if your quarterback can't do it, it's going to show up on nights like this. And if your quarterback can do it, it's going to show up on nights like this. Um it's, I guess referendum is a word we're going to use in a lot of things, and we'll probably get to that in a second, but um, you're, it's a referendum on a lot of ideas, a lot of people, a lot of possibilities for the team. And, man, fourth game of the season, get to go out and do this. That's kind of cool because you can get even uh, at the top of the mountain right now, and then you're uphill, you're downhill from there, depending on what happens. Um, See what happens because that's why they're – it's kind of what both these teams are doing right now. One's one and two, one's two and one, and still trying to find themselves in – while different situations when it comes to coaching tenures, you have a lot of changes on both teams. So someone's going to come out on the better end of this. As we wrap up, Chris, Thursday night, I don't know, sometime around, uh, by the way, Tech and Wofford played a two-hour and 50-minute game. It's fantastic. I hope Beautiful. that happens Thursday night. Beautiful. <laughs> so let's say that we're talking at like, I don't know, 1020. <laughs> it's not happening. Uh, we're talking close to midnight Thursday night. Who, what are we discussing that explains the outcome. So you know how I just spent like way too long rambling about how important the quarterback was and how it's going to come down to Daniels changing the game there? I got that. That's not the answer. We are going to be talking about West Virginia's defense. And I think it's in part because, and I think this is part of the reason that that week two game against Kansas just frustrated and perplexed all the fans and everybody that watched West Virginia football. Uh, obviously, part of that was the stigma of Kansas, which, again, they just beat, went to Houston and whooped Houston's butt. And so maybe Kansas doesn't suck. So kind of wipe that away for now. I mean, we're not talking Kansas being the 9-3 and three team. You know, maybe they're 6-6 six and six team, 7-5 team, and you're saying that's not terrible to lose that team, but that's still not a game you should lose. So 
forget that part of it. The part I'm focused on is the defense because for the better part of three years, what has been steady and stable and reliable for West Virginia has been the defense. You could always rely on the defense not to completely fall apart, not to completely blow the game and lose it. Even when West Virginia was giving up 30 or 30, 35 points or whatever it was, it was a lot of the times it was because the offense turned it over three times because special teams and turnovers gave the opposing team short field and, and the defense just wore down. There was never, I'm trying to think of a single time, maybe Baylor last year, I think. But again, that was a Baylor team that was finished top 10 in the country where the West Virginia defense was just terrible, just flat out. Like there's no other word for it, terrible. And it was terrible against Kansas. And I don't think pitching a shutout against uh, against Towson is going to get that stink off of them right now. What I think would get that stink off of them is a very, very good showing against Virginia Tech. Even if, as I noted, Virginia Tech's office isn't a bunch of world beaters, but getting stops at Virginia Tech and keeping West Virginia in that game or just shutting down Virginia Tech and allowing the offense to do work, I think that's what changes the perspective of this team this season, this coaching staff. So I think the thing we're talking about one way or another is that defense for West Virginia. Okay, that's fair. I like it too. Um, I mentioned referendums. You could do it on Daniels. Maybe you can do it on Neil Brown. We'll see. This to me is like a coin flip game for West Virginia's offensive line. And not because they're going to be good or they're going to be bad and it's a flip of the coin, but you throw it in the air and you're going to see if you're good or bad. It doesn't land on its side here. And this is not the time for the, the offensive line to land on its side. This has kind of been, a, a as they're saying now, a, a three-season, four-season process. Kind of made a decision in stride to rebuild it, reimagine it, go young, and have a payoff. If not now, when? If, 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 if you're not going to be able to kind of put some action to the words or or the – the sentiment here, then that offensive line thing just kind of continues to become a pipe dream a little bit too. And it's played well. It's given up pressures. And sometimes that's just the design of the defense or the design of the play on offense, or maybe even the will of the quarterback infrequently this year, but still, um, if the offensive line can't protect the quarterback, then what good is your quarterback? If your offensive line cannot combat the interior strength of the defensive line, or if it can't get up to the second level and move that middle linebacker, how good is your offensive line? And they do have these weapons on offense, running back, receiver, quarterback. It's time to facilitate them. And if you want to do it, you got to do it now because they've talked about it for a long, long time. And there's been, I would say, a diminishing amount of patience and understanding for it, but also some sort of a patience and understanding knowing there is some truth to it. Everybody has said that if this team is going to have a good offense, it's going to be because of the offensive line. That is the head coach. That's the offensive coordinator. That's some of the offensive linemen. And it's got to be there Thursday night. And I think if they win, you're going to say, you know what? They protected the quarterback. They opened some gaps for the running game, stayed out of third and longs, right? And if they don't, probably the opposite side of the coin is going to be true there. So, yeah, referendums are really popular when it comes to fans and media too, but it's a long season. It's been a long time coming over this offensive line, and this just feels like a game where it really needs to measure up and maybe even stand on its tiptoes and be better than the other side here because they put so much time and value into developing that offensive line that 
sooner or later, the piece has got to fall into place. And again, if not now, when are you going to do it? I understand it's a very good defense and it's a hostile environment, but it's also built to handle good defenses and hostile environments if it is or if it's going to be as good as the Mountaineers believe. I will link to some information that Virginia Tech's 24-7 site did in the offseason about a Brent Pry defense that talks about pressures and blitzes and what it looks like to understand the defense better, a challenge for the offensive line. Uh, that'll be in the fresh set, which will be first thing Thursday morning. Chris, how does the rest of the abbreviated week go for uh, for you, the JT Daniels of preparation on our site? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to move some things around. Obviously, Thursday game uh, changes the order of stuff. Uh, we'll have three keys up. we got a couple videos from interviews. I got an insider Q&A with our VT Scoop site. Um, just asking questions about what's going on with that team, what to expect for Thursday night, to give you a, a different perspective. Um, and yeah, Thursday should be busy. I mean, again, we'll be cramming a lot of stuff on the site on Thursday, maybe move a couple things up to Wednesday just to make sure it's all out there and can breathe before kickoff. Um, but expect full coverage uh, from the moment you listen to this all the way up till kickoff. That's all I have. All you have? Any more that stats? Any more nuggets? Any more mythos up your sleeve? Hey, you're the journalism major, not me. I don't know what these words mean. It was good. No, it's a, <laughs> it's a perfectly acceptable adjective mythology. I like it. Well, plenty of truth to the rumor. We'll be back Thursday night, hopefully Thursday night, sometime after kickoff at Lane Stadium. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.